Hi everyone, this is Darius Sulam from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Hashtag Expert Answers. Today we are joined by Dr. Jason Gardner. Jason is a professor of physiology at Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center in New Orleans. He recently presented his latest findings on the long-term cardiopulmonary health effects of inhaled nicotine, including preclinical evidence to treat these health impacts. Let's dive in. Did you evaluate sex differences in the response to nicotine? So part of the, uh, the Alpha 7 knockout study, in there we did evaluate both male and, and female mice, and we did not find any significant response to the nicotine in the female mice. And we even ran a few reactomized females, and they also did not exhibit the phenotype that we saw in the male mice. So we probably have additional, additional work to do there. Great. Is the development of pulmonary hypertension reversible if nicotine treatment is stopped? So that's, yeah, that's uh, definitely a very important question, right? Not only in experimentally, but clinically as well. So we didn't do any uh, cessation studies. It's, it's kind of on our wish list of, of things to do because some of the changes you see if you had a development of some type of dysfunction in left heart, to a stress, uh, some of that may not be reversible. But in this case, because you know it's we're exposing to nicotine, we're creating some effect. It looks like a pulmonary hypertension effect. If we remove the nicotine, and potentially there is reversible uh, reversibility of that pulmonary hypertension, then perhaps the the right ventricular changes would also be reversible. So I guess that's uh, the short answer is. We don't know, but we would like to study that effect. Mm, great. Another question for you. Have you evaluated how vascular reactivity may contribute to the increased right ventricular systolic pressures? Yes. Yeah, so part, so, uh, you know, when you see these data, one thing you think about, is it a change in the pulmonary vasculature that's driving it, or is it a change in just the right heart, or is it a little bit of both? Well, we, in that uh, alpha-7 knockout, manuscript, we did evaluate vascular reactivity in both aorta and in pulmonary artery. And we did find endothelial dysfunction is, is playing a role. So I would say that's probably key to the mechanism here is increased pulmonary vascular resistance due to endothelial dysfunction. Yes. Okay. Very interesting stuff. Do you think an intermittent instead of continuous nicotine dosing approach would affect your findings? So yes, because I'll tell you, we did, we did test that. So the way we're delivering the nicotine is sort of like a continuous period of time over 12 hours. And certainly that's not what people do when they are using either cigarettes or vape devices, right? When we tested, we did a 15 minutes on, 15 minutes off and repeated that cycle for a period of, of like nine, nine to 12 hours. We didn't find any real differences in the response to you know, the blood pressure response or to the cotinine levels. So for logistically, we stuck with the continuous delivery because there are some challenges with the devices. If you have the switching on and off very quickly like that, 
And so, yeah, we didn't, we didn't see any difference. Now we didn't run those animals out to eight weeks, the 15 minutes on 15 minutes off. Certainly it's, it's definitely worth taking a look at to see if maybe there would be a difference, but from what we saw, we did not have a difference. Great. Thank you very much. This question comes from someone who is relatively new to the e-cigarette research, and maybe you could expand upon how you prepare the e-cigarette condensate for in vitro studies and maybe explain how you actually expose the animals to the e-cigarette. So as far as, uh, so in vitro studies, we don't really do too much of those type of exposures. There are a lot of people that do though. Maybe I could point you to Dr. Alex Noel, N-O-E-L. She's at the LSU in Baton Rouge, and she does a lot of in vitro work regarding vaping. Now for the animal studies, so what we did is a little different than vaping, right? So we are using a nicotine inhalation exposure, whereas vaping involves uh, heating a solution that contains nicotine, and the solution would mostly be VG and PG. So so propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin. And so there are a lot of different ways you could ex expose that animals to those, but hey, there's a couple of companies, including La Jolla Alcohol Research that have dedicated systems for exposing animals to vape liquids. And you can, you know, adjust the ratios of VGPG, the amount of nicotine to match the different products that are on the market. You can also use uh, nicotine free base or you can use nicotine salt. Nicotine salt is more like what you would find in Juul. And certainly you could also expose animals, you know, include some flavorings in there because a lot of these flavorings become pretty nasty when they're heated up in the vape system. Now, one of the problems with trying to keep up with this animal research and such in this area is that the regulations are, are changing very rapidly. So just, you know, what was it, about a year ago, you could buy all types of different flavors of Juul and, and different, different uh, you know, vapes like that. Just you name it, lots of different flavors. Now, a lot of those flavors have been banned, at least as far as being able to be sold by the larger manufacturers. But there's there's also a lot of like homebrew. So, you know, if people want the flavorings, they're going to be able to get these flavorings. So it can be difficult to, to figure out what's the best exposure to use. One of my colleagues, Dr. Lauren Wold, he's done a lot of work in this area of vaping. And so you should definitely take a look at his research and experimental design. Great. Thanks so much. Now, speaking of, of vaping, there was some uh, question here specific to that. So you may have already answered this, but how does your daily nicotine exposure compare to that of, of, of vapors? Is, is there a difference between constant exposure versus intermittent puffing profile like humans might do? Yeah. So there definitely is a different type of profile. Now we did in our system, it's a little different than vaping, right? I mean, we're exposing to nicotine and not the VGPG, and we're not heating up the VGPG and nicotine. So the, the levels, the codeine levels that are achieved are similar, but this would be for either a heavy smoker, like one or two packs a day, or someone that's uh, using a lot of vape. It's not just gonna be like a couple puffs and I'm done. It's somebody that's really gonna probably be addicted to the nicotine and using it very regularly. And one thing that you'll find uh, if you look at profiles of, or, or how people use 
the e-cigarettes, the hit or that you get from the nicotine, it's very high, but it's very short-lived as well. So you'll find people that use uh, vape instead of uh, cigarettes, they're like, they constantly vape. I mean, throughout the day, you know, every 20 minutes they're going to, to hit the vape pen. So, you know, there's definitely some area for tweaking experimental designs like that to try to better match how people are using uh, these devices for sure. Great. Thanks so much. You discussed how there was this lack of, of compromise in the left ventricle. What might your hypothesis be about why that, that, that is? One person suggests that it might be related to the half-life of the nicotine, but we would like to hear your opinion, of course. So I think the reason we're, we're not seeing a left heart phenotype is because we didn't see a change in the systolic, I mean, sorry, the systemic blood pressure. So the phenotype that we saw was more of a pulmonary hypertension. And so that pulmonary hypertension is going to overwork the right heart. Okay, so the right heart is going to have to develop more pressure to move blood into the pulmonary circulation. And that's going to lead to right ventricular hypertrophy. So I think that's... I think that's everything that's behind what we're seeing with our model is that it's a it's pulmonary hypertension, maybe driven by the endothelial dysfunction in the pulmonary vasculature, causing right increased right heart workload, and therefore you get that right heart hypertrophy and such. And this is because there's not a, a systemic blood pressure effect because we don't see that. This is probably why you're not seeing any changes in the left heart function. I see. Great. Do you think there's any consequences to nicotine consumption being reduced by taking Lorzotan? So I think what we're seeing is, so the nicotine consumption, we're, it's okay. I don't quite understand the question because, so the Lasardin, we're just blocking the effects, the adverse effects of the nicotine. Now, is this going to be something that Vapors should, I mean, people that vape, should they go get a Losartan prescription? Probably not, right? I think this is just delving into the mechanisms associated with the adverse effects of the vaping and the nicotine exposure. So it's given us an insight into the, the pathways that are involved. And certainly it could point to some treatments if someone were to be diagnosed with pulmonary artery hypertension and they were known to be utilizing vape products and stuff like that, it certainly could be helpful. Great. And continuing on the nicotine line here, do you agree that the beneficial or detrimental effect of nicotine depends on maybe the time course of the treatment. This audience member suggested they have some unpublished data that indicate that acute use of nicotine has some beneficial effects in the lung. Yeah, so nicotine has uh, been shown to have really an anti-inflammatory effect uh, when it's giving, given acutely. And so I would not doubt that those data are correct that the that the person is talking about right but when nicotine is delivered chronically it certainly seems to go the other direction more of an inflammatory response <laughs> is there with nicotine increased nicotine exposure have you found that smooth muscle con contractions increase so that's a great question you know and what you so 
I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that, that uh, Alpha 7 knockout paper gets uh, accepted soon because we do, there's quite a bit of vascular reactivity of assays that are in that manuscript. And we did actually see an increased response or increased contraction response to phenylephrine only, but in the pulmonary artery only. In the aorta and pulmonary artery, we saw reduced response to uh, acetylcholine, which is going to be, you know, that nitric oxide endothelial cell uh, mediated relaxation. But the contraction difference was not seen in the aorta and only seen in the pulmonary artery. So I think there is a possibility that enhanced smooth muscle contraction is, is playing a role in this pulmonary hypertension phenotype that we see, certainly. Great. Here's another one for you. What were the lung findings? As presumably there was significant damage to lungs leading directly to your right ventricular findings. How do you then define your results as primary versus simply secondary to pulmonary effects of smoking exposure? No, this is a good question. And we were actually surprised to find it's, it's published in the uh, Oaks paper that's in hypertension that we did not find any significant changes in, in pulmonary function. All right. Now, we did see increased muscularization of some of the small arteries in the lung, just, you know, stained uh, using just histology. And we think it may be that we're just early in the process because we feel that with sustained pressures that we're seeing, if these are indeed generated by pulmonary artery resistance, then that increase in pressure should eventually cause some, some lung injury, right? But over the time course that we measured over this eight weeks, we didn't see any significant changes in pulmonary function. And we didn't see any uh, like what I'd call like true fibrosis or anything like that. Just an increased muscularization of the small arteries in the lungs. But that, so that's a good question. You know, it's trying to figure out like the cause and effect of what, what's going on. And I certainly feel that the endothelial changes and dysfunction that we see are probably going to be key to driving what's driving the changes that we see in the right heart, right? I, I think that's what it's all about. Great. Now, speaking of endothelial dysfunction, there are a few questions here that are asking about what the impact of nicotine might be on COVID-19 infections. So the, the end of, this person is asking is the endothelial cells the only source of increased ACE2 expression during the nicotine infusion? And how does that impact, how might you speculate that impacts COVID infection rate? Yeah, this is tricky business, right? Because the whole link with the COVID and uh, using the ACE2 as a way to get into your cells and, and infect the cells, and initially, if you remember, there were reports, I think it was at maybe out of France, that there was some suggestion that smokers were less susceptible to COVID, but it turns out that didn't really pan out. So I don't think the relationship there is as simple as we would like it to be, because if you're using these vaping devices, if you're using, you know, cigarettes, you're already causing an you know, inflammatory load on, on your lungs. And then to couple a COVID infection with that, I think that's going to make things worse. Now, I'm sure there'll be, there's probably, you know, studies ongoing right now uh, trying to, to see if there is some link, but it certainly doesn't seem to be protective for sure. 
the use of uh, vapor nicotine against the COVID. Now, did, I, I'm not sure if I answered your question or not. <laughs> yeah, a little so, bit of a left field question for you there, but certainly a relevant one for sure. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting. Have, it's definitely an interesting question for sure. I think we have time for one or two more questions here. So let's talk about the, the alpha-7 receptor now. This audience member asks, where do you think the alpha-7 receptor is working? Is this a central effect mediated, mediated by receptors in the brain? So I would think that this is more of a peripheral effect, really. The alpha-7 receptors are all over the place in the vasculature and in the heart, and it certainly could be impacting how the endothelial cells, how the smooth muscle, how those, are gonna, how those cell types are going to be responding to the stimuli. Now, there's some definitely some pretty straightforward experiments that we could do to further delve into that. And I think those are definitely important questions. So yeah, I'm thinking it's a peripheral effect, but I could be wrong. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers, just like you, answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.